Okay, I'm going to speak from the Bible now, and we're going to, we're going to speak, look at um, motherhood. Also, we're going to look at Jesus. Um, you'll be pleased to hear, <laughs> not just motherhood. Um, I suppose you could ask, why, why, why do a whole Sunday on motherhood? You know, why, why make such a big deal about it? I mean, you only get 52 Sundays a year. Why use one of those just entirely to, on that? Here's the, here's the reason. In the Bible, God makes a big deal about honouring our parents. Really big deal. And it's kind of countercultural and pretty unfashionable these days. But it was such a big deal that it made it into the top ten of the uh, Jewish commandments. Um, it was honour your father and your mother. And that word honour means give significance, give weight to it. Don't just see it as a small thing, as a little thing. Honour your parents. Which is, I think it's a massive thing for parents, because I'm a parent, and as a result, I've become very much more aware of my flaws than before I was a parent. And so you think, phew, I really, I really hope my kids honour me, <laughs> just because God tells them to, not because I'm perfect. Because um, it's a humbling thing. But uh, we're going to look at that. And in fact, it was such a big deal in the, old, in, in the, in the, in the times where God gave that commandment to Moses, that if, if a child didn't honour their parents, well, when they were adults, it's punishable by death. I mean, huge, huge deal. So for the whole parenthood thing is a massive deal to God, and I want to look at that today and give good time to it as a result. Now we're going to look at Christianity's most famous mum, the Catholic's lover. Um, three guesses. We're going to look at Mary. Um, I mean, the Catholics will say that she never sinned, and that she remained a virgin all her life, and that rather than dying, she ascended to heaven. We wouldn't necessarily go in for that, but we would say that she's definitely blessed. She's most definitely blessed. And as a Protestant, sometimes you can kind of react to the whole Mary thing and you ignore her. No, she's she's wonderful, wonderful woman. So we're going to look at her and, um, as a result, look at some of the things she experienced and meditate on motherhood and knowing Jesus. Because obviously for Mary, motherhood and knowing Jesus were what? They were the same thing. Yeah? Because she was Jesus' mum. So for Mary, her experience of motherhood was her experience of knowing Jesus. So uh, we're going to look at uh, and parallel, illustrate those things there. So I'm going to look at four things to do with motherhood. All, everything from the Bible is going to come up on the screen so we can read it together. Point number one, motherhood is costly. Motherhood is a costly, costly, um, what you were calling. Um, let's read what happened to Mary. She's about 15 years old, approximately probably, a uh, young virgin. Here's what happened. An angel appeared to her and said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, you've found favour with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Good question. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. Now rewind with me 2,000 years and let's move from London 2,000 miles back to a completely different world. The culture was completely different. You got pregnant out of wedlock in that age and in that society. Your whole reputation, the reputation of your family, was you in disgrace. And so this... This scenario with the angel coming, which we kind of, we tend to romanticise, especially at Christmas time, this was frightening. Not only this, but she was engaged. She was engaged with an honourable man who would not sleep with her before they were married, and so 
when she gets pregnant, guess what he thinks? What would you think? He thought exactly what you would think. And he just came out with a story about an angel, and he's like, oh, please. As, that's what I would do. I'd be like, oh, please, give me a break. <laughs> At least admit it. <laughs> At least admit it, woman. These crazy stories about angels. And then we're told that as Joseph was sleeping, an angel appeared to him and said, listen, this is, this is the truth. It, 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 this is a miracle. This is, this is of the Holy Spirit. She's not been playing around. And so Joseph married her, decided to marry her. But before that time, there's not, Joseph was thinking, this, is a, this woman is a cheater. She's an adulteress. There's no way I'm going to marry her. For Mary, this was costly. When she says those words, let it be done to me according to your word, she's taken her whole future in the balance. Her whole future. What her family would think of her, what her fiancé would think of her. Motherhood for Mary was a costly, costly thing. Not only that, part of her calling was to watch her own son die. She had to watch her own son be crucified. That was her portion. And that's the pain that some mothers actually have to experience. Some mothers actually do live to see the death of their child. And it's just, I can't think what that's, what that's like. But for Mary, that was part of it for her. She would watch her son be crucified. Costly thing. Costly, costly thing for her. Motherhood is costly full stop. Not just for Mary. From the point where those two hearts start beating in one body, everything changes. Physically, everything changes. I was in the park yesterday with my children and there's a woman, I saw a woman getting up from a bench slowly. I think her hand was there. All the telltale signs. I'm making my rule not to mention um, babies of pregnancy to women that I think are pregnant in case they're not. (laughs) Yeah, and you think, ah, so I've made a rule. Unless they're in labour, I don't say anything. All right? (laughs) I just, I don't. Because I'm just, I'm scared stiff of that potential moment of, you know, you know, you know the thing. So, but she was virtually in labour. I mean, she, you know, she had the walk. It was like a football. It was, it was you know. So I, I, said, I said, not long to go now. She said, four weeks. She said, uh, I said, oh, this, you know, I just wished her all the best, really. But you think, gosh, she's paying a price physically for this new life. And also, obviously, we live in a, a world where you're constantly being bombarded with images of what you should look like physically. And obviously, you know, in terms of very often for many women to have a baby and it takes a while to get back to their ideal, how they would like to look. There's a physical cost. There's a physical cost in it. Emotionally, there's a huge cost. Suddenly, they're tied in with this person for the rest of their lives. Not falling asleep till 3 a.m. Once their teenager, they hit a the key in the door and their teenager's coming, okay, I can go to sleep. That sort of stuff. Emotionally tied in forever. Career-wise, for many women, especially women that are more career-minded, to become a mother, it can mean a partial break in that whole progression it can mean a break for life huge cost it's costly if their child turns out wayward child ends up in, inside or ends up just you know just becoming just someone who think gosh how what where did that how did that happen the pain of that it's massive cost everything is affected by that little bundle E.W. Howe, an author, said this, if there were no schools to take children away from home part of the time, the insane asylums would be filled with mothers. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. That's what he said. But for Mary, it was more than parenthood, it was receiving Jesus. It was rece- for Mary, it was receiving Jesus. 
I want to just say this. Receiving Jesus is costly. There are huge risks involved. There are huge risks involved with receiving Jesus. Don't let anyone tell you anything otherwise. They're either a salesman or a liar. There are huge risks involved. I think some people see the whole Jesus thing as like a kind of fully comp insurance policy. We'll get the Jesus thing in, then even once, once I die, that's sorted. No, it doesn't work like that. Life with Jesus can be hair-raising, unpredictable, inconvenient. That's just the truth of it. But the benefits outweigh the cost. You, you, go to a, you, you speak to a mum who's just been through labour and all the rest of it, or just sleepless nights, and you say, is it worth it? They'll look to you through their tiny eyes and bags and they'll say, yeah. So why? New life. New life. New life's always worth it. To experience new life in Christ. That's what Jesus promises. Jesus promises, I've come to give you life in all its fullness. Jesus promises, as we're born again, new life. Always worth it. Always, always worth the cost. Second thing about motherhood. Not only is it costly, it's a very, very precious thing. It's precious. We're told that when the shepherds came down from the hills, they'd seen the angels and all the, the heavenly hosts singing, they come down to the stable and they tell Mary everything they've experienced. We're told that Mary uh, stored these things up. We're told that she kept them and pondered them in her heart. Then, when Jesus was eight days old, they took him to the temple, as was the um, custom, to, be, to, to, to dedicate him to the Lord. And a, a godly man called Simeon and a prophetess called Anna just almost appeared out of nowhere and said, <gasps> He's here. They just recognized, this is the one. And they began to speak things about this baby. And we're told that she, uh, Mary and uh, Joseph marveled. And they, they pondered the wonder of their new child in their heart. They had high expectations for their child. For Mary, she would have uh, uh, lots of, I would, I would imagine, as we look this morning, you'll see lots of, she didn't quite understand how it would work, but high expectations. What's going to, how's it going to work out? All these prophecies, all these promises, how's this one little bundle going to grow into that? And likewise, mums. It's precious having children, isn't it? If you're a mum, you're a walking photo album. You've got all these things pondered in your heart, all these memories. You're like a human memory stick. You can pull things out. Things trigger stuff. Memories. Wonderful, wonderful things. Multiple moments stored in your heart. I remember the most bizarre moment when, um, as a young dad when I received a photo on my phone as I was at work. And I thought, that looks like poo in a toilet. <laughs> and you turn it around and think, it still does. And it was. <laughs> it was poo in a toilet. Which you think, why? Why do this? Why do this? Horrible, sick jokes. No, you don't understand. When your child for months has been using their underwear or a certain corner of the room to do that. When it drops in the water, it's a big deal. It's a family event. You, you want, I think I must still be on the phone somewhere, stored in there. It's there, it is, it's there. It was amazing. Precious moments, precious memories. That before you think, we would never think, we wouldn't get excited about this. When you become a parent, you do. Strange things, great moments. It must be said, in the early days, there's a lot of monotony in motherhood. If you choose to start home and nurture and just feed your child, it's basically, it's basically lots of nappies, um, lots of screaming, not much sleep, and it just kind of goes like that, and, and still you're expected to look after the home very often. It's a lot of, it's a lot of monotony. And yet, the, the interesting thing is, is that in that monotony, you get the moments. Well, you, the moments that you can't put into the diary, the first smile. It wasn't wind. 
It was a real smile. It's exciting. Or the cooing moment. Oh, the cooing moment. When they get to about six weeks old, they do the cooing. It's that they realise they've got a mouth that works, as well as just for screaming. They can do something else with it. And I remember we were at Witch the Ball, and we were sat down with our first... And uh, she just went, I won't do it, because it will sound horrible if I do it. But she made this noise that was like angels singing. And you thought, she's talking to us. Ah! It's just amazing. These moments are just first steps, first, words, first kiss, when they actually kiss you back, do something back when you go to kiss them. These moments break through the monotony, and it's like, oh! Exciting. Beautiful, beautiful, precious stuff. You're pulling your hair out one minute and laughing the next. Mark Twain, the famous author, said this, my mother had a great deal of trouble with me, but I think she enjoyed it. (laughs) I like that. I don't know if she did, but that's what he says, so. (laughs) Typical son, hey, typical son. She loved it, she loved it. But I want to say this, that all of these amazing, precious moments, they're beautiful and they're precious, but you know, they're temporary. They're temporary, they come, but they go. And you can never fully recapture them. You can store it on a tape or a disc or on the hard drive of your brain, but you can never fully recapture that moment. And that can be painful. It can be painful. You think, oh, it was such a beautiful season and things were so well then. And that can be a painful thing. Why? I'll tell you why. Because we're made for eternity. We are made for eternity. And when things fade and when things just lose their technicolour, something inside us goes, ah, if only I could have recaptured that forever. Why? The Bible says that God has put eternity in our hearts. There's something in us that longs for that constant freshness, brightness, shininess that will always stay and we'll never have to just look back and think, oh, that was the golden era, that was the golden age. But to live constantly in the golden age, that's God's plan. And that's why he's providing a new heavens and a new earth for us. I tell you, knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus is precious beyond any wonderful memory in this life. Jesus is the way into a relationship with God. Jesus is the essence of it. The essence of a relationship with God is Jesus Christ. If, like Mary, we can store up and treasure Jesus in our heart, then we've done a wise thing. If we can store him up and treasure him, then we've made a good decision. We've made a wonderful decision. Because what Jesus brings, which is himself, can never be taken away. Hallelujah. Can never be taken away. It's beautiful. He just gets fresher and fresher every day. Third thing, motherhood highlights your flaws. When Jesus was 12, he got lost. Big time, for three days. That's big time lost. I got lost when I was seven, on the strand, Remember that, Mum? How could you do that? <laughs> it was amazing. We'd been to feed the pigeons. There used to be a time when pigeons were allowed in Trafalgar Square. And um, they're banned now. But you used to go and feed them. It was so, it was wonderful. It was so politically incorrect. So much health and safety. No, you just stand there with these bowls of food. And these pigeons would just fly all over you. And everyone, in those days, we thought it was great. We just, it was a good thing. Um, uh, so we were doing this. And I had some, and you'd buy a pot for 10p from the man. They'd give you a pot of food. And you'd hold it and the bird would come down and you'd go, wow, look. And then I remember walking along the strand, I'm seven years old, and I was just, I had a bit left, and I was the daydreamer in the family, surprise, surprise. And I would just be throwing it into the road in the strand and I see it and I looked up. They're all gone. They're all gone, for goodness sake. And I just flipped and started screaming. Well, it wasn't like that for Jesus. 
When Jesus was 12, his family took him up to Jerusalem for a big feast. And then they would go as a big extended family. And so they started making their way back. And, and they started saying, where's Jesus? And it, when you read it, you can think, well, they should know. But what it is, they were traveling as a huge extended family. So they would go to aunties, uncles, cousins. They couldn't find him. So then they had to make the way back to Jerusalem. Three days they hunted around Jerusalem. When they found him, Jesus said this to them. Look at this. Sorry, next slide, Pete. Why were you looking for me? <gasps> didn't you know he was in the temple? Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? They didn't understand the saying he'd spoken to him. I mean, they must have been feeling bad enough. And then Jesus makes them feel even worse. What are you looking for me for? I'm, just, I'm in my father's house. I'm doing, I think he's 12 years old. I bet Mary was thinking, oh, I'm the worst mum in the world. Any mums ever thought that? It's my experience that a lot of mums think that. It's my experience that a lot of mums punish themselves. Something goes wrong and they really assume it's their fault. Slightest little mistake and, it, and you live with this guilt. Well, what about Mary? She would have, how would she have been feeling? Terrible. Terrible. There was another really awkward situation. We'll read about it. Next slide, Pete. Look at this. This is, this is interesting. Then he, he, Jesus went home and the crowd gathered again, right, to hear him teach. He's an adult now, to hear him teach. So that they couldn't even eat. So they're so busy with the crowd, Jesus can't even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he's lost it. All right? He's out of his mind. And his mother and his brothers came, standing outside. So they're outside the house. They can't get in because of the crowd. They sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Okay, you think, okay, what's Jesus going to do? We'll go out straight away. No, listen to Jesus. Jesus said, who are my mothers and brothers? And looking about those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he's my brother and sister and mother. Now, Jesus was the perfect son, and yet something had happened where he'd grown up, and he was following the will of God, and his mum was still trying to bring him back and, and, and make him, you know, kind of, no, you're still under my care. And he's like, no, I honour you, but I've, I've, I've grown up now. And it's, you know, so Mary must have thought, oh, when she heard that, how embarrassing. Motherhood for her highlighted, highlighted her flaws. She must have felt confused, must have felt like a failure. I'm sure it's like that for many mums. Parenthood exposes all of us. Listen to what the, pe- the mum of Jimmy Carter, the ex-president of the United States, said. Sometimes when I look at my children, I say to myself, Lillian, you should have stayed a virgin. <laughs> Didn't help Mary, did it? <laughs> Hillary Clinton says this, you never know if you did the right thing. Stay at home, mothers. Gone away, mothers. All of us worry that we should have done something differently. And you can live it with that. Oh, why didn't I do that? Oh, why didn't, oh no. And you can constantly blame yourself, I would imagine, for your own children's kind of mistakes that they make. I want to say this. Here's the big deal. Knowing Jesus highlights your flaws. All right. Knowing Jesus highlights your flaws. Now, this is a charge that's often leveled at Christianity where people say it's too negative. All this talk of flaws and sins and forgiveness, why don't we just, let's just scrap all of that, just be good to one another. Let's just adopt the Buddhist thing, where we're just kind of, we're just good and we're just good to each other and we don't get into all that kind of uh, negative stuff. The problem is, is that we're not good. It would be great if we were good. It's like communism, great if people shared. <laughs> people are selfish, doesn't work. Buddhism, great, let's be good to one another, mm, but we're not. Problem. So you can just say, well, I don't like it, it's too negative. Or we can say, well, here's the problem. How's it going to get dealt with? You see, Jesus brings what we need. Forgiveness, reconciliation with God.
That's what we need. That's what Jesus brings. Pretending it's all okay is a counterfeit salvation. Oh, it'll be fine. No, it won't. It won't. We need forgiveness for the things we do wrong before God. We're selfish, we're impatient, we're hypocritical, we're judgmental, we're inconsistent. And I'll dare to say, if you say you're not, you're deceived. (laughs) I am. All those things are me. All those things. A walking contradiction. Inconsistent. Painfully inconsistent. Embarrassingly inconsistent. Oh. Now you think, well, this thing's bad. Listen, Jesus came. He came to save us from ourselves. Amen? That's why he came. To save us because left to our own devices, we don't do great. We make so many mistakes. Jesus came to bring mercy, forgiveness, everything that we need. That's why it's good news. That's why we say the gospel is good news. He came to heal the septic wound of our sin. All it takes is us being willing to cross that barrier, really, which is, that, is a potential hurdle which just says, admitting I need help, admitting I need forgiveness, man, I, I, I don't like that, because it, it hits the pride. And you think, oh, no, come on. Cross it so you can receive forgiveness. Cross it. Face the fact you've flawed that Jesus wants to forgive you. The Bible says that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Gives grace. Final thing, motherhood remains. At the most agonising moment of Mary's life, where she's standing before this blooded mess nailed to a cross, which is her son. Listen to what he does. Next slide. When Jesus saw his mother, he's he's hanging there, nailed, almost dead. And the disciple whom he loved, that's John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Take him in. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. Look after her. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. Oh, don't you love Jesus? What would you be thinking about? If you were close to death, i had been through that agony, I'd be thinking about probably myself. Jesus, he looks up and he sees and he thinks, I've got to look after me, mum. Jesus, lover of our souls. He's beautiful, isn't he? Isn't he wonderful? In everything, she remains his mum. Nothing's ever going to change that. As he hung there in his most glorious and yet terrible moment, he remembered her and she couldn't keep away from him. I'm sure everything in her was saying, get away from this sight, run a mile, but she couldn't. She couldn't. She had to be with him till his last moment. Why? Because she's his mum. And that's what mums do, isn't it? That's what mums do. There's painful seasons as mums, but you're always mum. You're always mum. I'll make a point of telling our kids, no matter what you do, we'll always love you. It's funny, it surprises them. It surprises them. I say, really? I think, is that a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but I say, yeah, really? No matter what, what if I killed someone? Yeah. I'm trying not to encourage them to do that, of course. But <laughs> I'm trying to communicate, you know, look, no matter what, what no, matter, no matter what, no matter what, I love you. Bottom line. <laughs> Bottom line. One author said this, children and mothers never truly part, bound in the beating of each other's hearts. Beautiful. But for Mary, there was more than this. And here's what I want to finish on. For Mary, it was actually knowing Jesus that would remain forever. 
while he was here on this earth, she would always be his mum, he would always be her son, but knowing Jesus as her Lord and as her saviour would remain forever. An eternal relationship. The relationship Jesus wants with us is not a casual relationship, it's what the Bible calls a covenant, which is totally different. A covenant is a solemn and binding agreement based on promises. And the promises are things like God saying to you, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'll be with you through the highs and the lows. I'll be with you through the ups and the downs. I'll be with you through the hard times and the good times, through the laughter and through the tears. I will be with you right unto the end of the age. That's the promise. That's one of the promises that the Lord makes. That we get to walk with Jesus as friends, but not equals. As friends, absolutely, but him as the Lord. Us submitting to him, us following him, letting him take the driver's seat. The Old Testament word for covenant was cutting. That's what it meant, it meant cutting. Because when someone made a covenant, they would kill an animal. The blood symbolising the solemnity of the agreement. And not only that, but that that, that agreement was not um, break, breakable except by death. So where's the blood of this covenant? Whose blood got shed in this covenant? Jesus is. That's what the cross is about. That's God saying, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to know you. And I'm serious enough to give my son to die in your place and shed his blood so that you can know me forever. Beautiful. So awesome. Feel the gravity of it. It's not a light thing. This is how serious God is about knowing you, about having a relationship with you. Jesus made atonement on the cross for our sins so we could be reconciled to God. Today we've seen that receiving Jesus is costly, number one. Secondly, that knowing him is the most precious thing a person could know. Thirdly, that it involves coming to terms with our flaws and our failings and our sins. But that as we do so, because of his shed blood, we can be totally forgiven, have our conscience cleansed and have a brand new start in him. This is the good news. This is the message of eternal life. Jesus Christ. I also want to urge you as we finish now, receive Jesus. Receive Jesus. There's so many guests here today and so lovely to have you. I don't know where you're at. That's the beauty of it. So I can simply urge you, please receive Jesus. I'm not talking about adopting a religion or taking on board a philosophy. Receive him. Receive him into your heart. How do you do so? You're simply returning your heart to him. You return. You come back to him and you just say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want you to live in me by your spirit. I want to, I want to be with you now. I want to follow after you. That's what it is. That's why we take the bread and the wine during these next couple of songs. The bread and the wine will be here. Please feel free to just come and help yourself during these songs. We we eat the bread because Jesus broke the the bread just before his death and he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And then he poured out the wine. He said, this is my blood shed for you. Drink this in remembrance of me until, until he returns. Until Jesus Christ returns, we eat the bread and we drink the wine to remember him and say, Jesus, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. If you're not a believer, then I would say don't take it. It, will have no, it has no magical power to it outside of the fact that it's, a t- it's what we do, those of us who express our faith in Jesus. But if you're a believer, then please, during these songs, come down, take the bread, take the wine to his glory. Amen? Amen. I hope there's been some good stuff in there for everyone. I hope your mums are feeling encouraged and built up. I hope most of all you see Jesus and the wonder of knowing him. Okay, we'd like to stand. The band are going to come. We're going to sing some more.